we're talking about like kind of odd Vala, um, what's the deal with Nienna? <laughs> like, what's her deal? <laughs> what's the vibe? Sleeping. Pity. Yeah. Talk about emo. I, I think she yeah. out out emos anyone. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Although she has pity on other people, not herself. So I guess that might not be the most emo thing in the world, but it's like altruistic emoism. Uh, I know it doesn't mention it necessarily in this. You know, there there are there are important characters who spend a lot of time with Nienna. It does mention it in it this chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just doesn't tell you our, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. As but we Olor, know him. Olorin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big G. I call him Big G. Big G. <laughs> uh-huh. Zach would call him the stranger. No. Or meteor man. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Sure you wouldn't. That's where you're wrong, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom that's, Bombadil. That's my, he's Tom I, oh, I would be rather so be, sad. I'd rather no. be Tom Bombadil. No, don't let him be no. Tom Bombadil. That would break everything. Tom Bombadil is there during the trees. I mean, you can't. Mm-mm. Yeah, it would destroy everything. <laughs> but he would he would lend an an aspect of whimsy and perhaps even chaos to this snooze fest of a show that would be highly enjoyable. <laughs> even if it would like the timeline's already wrecked, so we might as well have some whimsy. We need yeah, that's stranger. He, he whimsy is the word I use for him. <laughs> <laughs> he he, he just tree, reeks man. Bombadil. <laughs> uh. Look, he doesn't have he doesn't have his boots and hat yet. You can't judge yet. him yet. Yet. No. Okay. Yeah. There's there's there's, there's that's thirteen heresy. more seasons to go. You heard it here first. He'll get his boots and hat. I, I would quit watching this show if he ended up being Tom Bombadil. <laughs> oh my god, that's that, the last straw for you. <laughs> that's that's what ruins it for you. Of all the things, the literal corpse of Celeborn, and that would be your final straw. <laughs> Getting back to Nienna, though. <laughs> Um, I actually, you know, like she's depressing to read about, but I think it's fascinating that through that grief and sorrow, you find wisdom, like endurance, uh, hope, and um, mm-hmm. it just it reminds me a bit of kind of that, you know, James one type of trial, various trials, building endurance, a lot of what you get even through scripture of the importance of maturing and growing through grief. And I've had a lot of grief and sorrow in my life and it's grown me. And so I, I do like that element, even though she's a sad character cause she's like always weeping and I'm not really down for that, but um, I do like that she tends to kind of bestow wisdom. And then it also says that her, sorrow was kind of woven into the song Mm -hmm. and that's kind of just the fact of life and it seems to me like tolkien was just kind of acknowledging that a lot of life is hard and full of sorrow and grief 
Yeah, and you you learn wisdom from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty deep, really. <laughs> if you have evil in in a place and and all you can do is celebrate, it, it's not like it it doesn't seem right. It's not right. Yeah. Um and so you know there there are some churches that are just constant <clears throat> like cheerfulness and <laughs> I mean, there's literally a book in the Bible called Lamentations. So it is a necessary thing to go through that, even if it doesn't sound, uh, you know, whimsical like Tom Bombadil. Um, I think it, it is absolutely necessary. Yeah. She's she's the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Or, you know, yeah. some Proverbs or, you know... She's got that that wisdom. Yeah, and she, she brings strength to the spirit. Uh, and so, like those who live in in the halls of Mandos, cry out to her. Like she's the only one that like that gets them. You know, like you know they're they're out there. Um, I mean, as, as some of them under punishment, and some of them uh, are are just are just dead and have crossed over. Um, and 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 who are the ones they cry out to? Who's the one they cry out to? It's Nienna. I think that's really interesting. And, and the fact she actually is physically closer to the halls of Mandos than any other Vala, too. I don't think that's an accident either. You know, she lives in the west of the west, like on the borders of the world, basically. Um, and I think, uh, you know, again, it's not an accident. You know, Tolkien wasn't putting things in here for... For, for kicks and giggles. Except when he gets to Bombadil, right? <laughs> Except Bombadil. And we love him too. So I, I appreciate his his presence in the legendarium, even if I don't fully understand him. So uh, we've talked Tulkas as well. Anything else we want to say about Tulkas? I think he's pretty cool, but very straightforward too, which I appreciate. Um. And then we've talked about Rome as well. Um, I kind of, I kind of want to talk a little bit about his horse Nahar, just a, a little bit. M Maddie, do you have extra thoughts about Nahar that you haven't expressed already? I just want to hear your thoughts first. I actually looked up his family tree because I'm like, you know, there's there's a big yeah, this horse has a family tree. It's not long, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I looked it up and I get credit for that. Uh, so you know there's a big stink made in uh the two towers about well it's not a stink you know it's a passing reference uh regarding shadow facts the horse that gandalf takes from uh uh from the stables in rohan uh how he's one of the the mayaras which are horses that are directly related to this horse so Shadowfax, I believe, is like grandson of Nahar. And then there, there obviously are other horses that are descended from that line. So Shadowfax is basically a heavenly horse. And, and his, his grandpa is this horse, who is a steed of, of, uh, of Valar. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, is he a heavenly horse, though? Well, I mean, kind kind of like he's he's from Valinor, 
which is basically heaven. I don't know. I don't know if Nahar, you know, I don't think Nahar would have been, you know, in the presence of Eru, but I think as as the Vala were as the Valar were kind of filling out Middle Earth uh in, in the in the creation sense, you know, creating the creatures as well. Uh, you know, it I don't I don't have <clears throat> I don't have any text for this at all, but you know, maybe Orame, uh, or or maybe even uh maybe his wife even could have actually made this horse specifically for him. And then the, that horse persisted uh, as a as a kind of horse. Uh, I don't know. I think I think that's interesting. And you know, you know, we haven't even gotten to the Maya yet. Um, the, the the Maya spirits that kind of are uh, vassals or or helpers to the Valar. You know, Nahar isn't necessarily one of those, but I kind of do see Nahar as one of the essential helpers of Orame. Because like all the stuff that he's doing in Middle Earth, like the important work that he's doing, he can't. He, I can't say he can't do it without his horse, but the horse certainly is a, a pivotal part in what he does and why he does it. I don't. I don't think you could separate Orame and Nahar. It, it, you know, it's it's just like anybody who has horses. Like you just have a bond. It's a horse, a horse bond. A horse and his boy. <laughs> or girl. Or girl. I don't have a horse, but I have a car, so maybe <laughs> it's kind of more like a car. Maybe it's a mechanical horse. Uh, mechanical. Maybe Ally created the uh, <laughs> car, and it's just a car. <laughs> it's like a Jeep. <laughs> a Land Rover. Yeah. <clears throat> One time, I live around a lot of Amish, and I, I my car broke down... Uh, there was a leak in the gas line. And so I was stuck at the side of the road and uh, some of my Amish neighbors were driving by in their, in their buggies and uh, audibly laughed at me. <laughs> and that, that was a very nice and humbling moment for me. It definitely aided in my sanctification. I thought they like, were going to offer you to give you a ride. And oh no, no, <laughs> no. Like they've never had to repair a wagon wheel. Come right. on. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had to repair quite or a few tires a because of their wagon wheels. So <laughs> I should have said, oh, yeah, tire blew out because of you guys. <laughs> but it wasn't a tire. It reeked of gas. It was hemorrhaging. We're all good now. <laughs> you got made fun of by the Amish. <laughs> yep. yep. That's great. Yeah. I mean, there's like more information, obviously, about Shadow Facts. So. You know, I couldn't really go on too big, big on Nahar, but I will say what I appreciate about a horse like Shadowfax in the movie is that Tolkien describes him as a horse that doesn't get tired, you know, like he can keep going and going and going. Um, and that's like one of my big pet peeves watching movies with horses running. I'm like, so they like legit just like ran for 200 miles without getting tired. Like, mm -hmm. do these people ever walk, you know, yeah. walk their horses? There's no way you can just gallop literally everywhere. Um, but with shadow facts, you can, so I appreciate that. And I do think that's maybe part of the reason why they chose the horse that Galadriel rode and rings of power, mm -hmm. uh, that type of color. I'm like, this is a super horse nerd thing, but it's called Cremello and it's a champagne gene that like makes their coat glisten in a very unique way that you don't get that in a lot of other, uh, horse coloring. So I don't know. 
I thought that was pretty cool. And when you read about uh, Nahar, like how he shines like the sun or, you know, reflects kind of silver in the moonlight or night, you know, it's just interesting. Hmm, that is interesting. Pretty cool horse. I think I I've want seen one. The, <laughs> I've seen one of those horses in a meme before. And it was like, it wasn't a meme. It was like a, a viral picture that went around. They're like, guys, why is this horse shining? Yeah. Yeah, it's genetic. Cremello, is that cool. what you said? Yeah, Cremello, it's a champagne gene. But, well, there's Cremello and then there's the champagne gene. Cremello is actually two Palominos. I'm getting like way over everyone's head. But uh, if, if you know what a Palomino yes. is. Palomino um, is a brand of pencil. No. <laughs> they're like yellow. Is, though, but... like they're kind of like a golden horse with a blonde mane and tail. Oh, and if you breed two oh. of those together, you get Cremello. And then there's also the champagne gene, which a lot of people breed with those to get that real glistening coat. Fun facts. You can do that in Pokemon, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This... Yeah, you get the egg moves and stuff. Yeah. Horses Makes are basically sense. Pokemon. Yeah. They're God's Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that Tolkien puts horses in like literally every story. So I'm down for that. Yeah. They're they're almost as important as trees. Yes. But better. Trees are really in <laughs> like three they're in of everything. these. Yeah. They're trees are everywhere. Yeah, I, I don't understand how one of them is, is supposed to be about trees, and then the other one's like, actually, I'm forests. Like, uh, Orme is is big fan of forests, but then maybe Orme is better at organization, and that's why he gets the forests. Yeah, like Yavanna's good at like the individual trees, but Orme can really like gather them together into a nice a nice forest. Yeah, he's an well, and you get that like hunting, like that kind of classic hunting through the woods on horseback with hounds, the hounds vibe. I mean, that was huge for millennia out there until they killed off all the animals in Europe. I'm so. going to guess probably there aren't any foxes in Valinor then. Because <laughs> right? he's got to, he's just going to be out there hunting those guys, taking them out right and left. Maybe you're evil fox. <clears throat> Yeah, that's why chaos reigns because they they had to get out of they had to get out of Valinor in order to live, and they brought their chaos to to Middle Earth. That's exactly what happened. They look like the ugly version of Sonic, like ugly Sonic. <laughs> but then you've got the fox foxes, foxes that look like they have human teeth, baby yeah. Balrogs. <laughs> do it. <laughs> do baby balrogs have wings and then they lose them when they grow up yeah <laughs> i love that enduring debate in the in the tolkien world like do, do balrogs have wings or do they not have wings nobody really knows i i had a uh i had a crazy theory uh i don't think i i don't think i'm going to uh i don't think i'm going to delve into it if we want to continue on and finish the rest of the chapter maybe i'll save that for another time it's up to you guys. Do you want to continue on or do you, or. I kind of want to hear your crazy theory. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, so my crazy theory has to do with 
the Third Age and Lothlorien and Rivendell, which are kind of the last two remaining Elvish strongholds in, in Middle-earth. I don't have any textual basis for this whatsoever, but I think there's an interesting connection between both of those realms and uh, Irmo and Este. So Irmo uh, obviously had the visions and dreams and lives in Lorien, which is in Valinor. And so those are his gardens in the land of the Valar. They're the fairest of all places in the world, filled with many spirits. I think that has such a, a close tie to uh, to Lothlorien, uh, where Galadriel and Celeborn uh, rule. And it's very much the same thing. Galadriel has the mirror. Uh, she's able to see things. There are So, so that's very much a, a vision aspect. I think she kind of carries on this... Uh, area of dominion that Irmo uh, embodies. And then similarly, I think Elrond carries on a bit from Este. So it says, Este, the gentle, healer of hurts and weariness, is his spouse, graves her raiment, and rest is her gift. She walks not by day, but sleeps upon an island in the tree-shadowed lake of Laurelin. Um, and from the fountains of Irmo and Este, all those who dwell in Valinor draw refreshment. And so this water aspect is a huge part of Imladris. Um, and also this aspect of rest. And in fact, the ring of power that Elrond has is a, a ring that that um, kind of supernaturally aids him in his healing arts. And so Imladris is kind of known as a place of rest. It, well, it's known for a lot of things like, you know, it's the last homely house in The Hobbit. So that's a place where if you love to read, you can go there. If you love to sit around and sing songs or tell stories, it's a perfect place to do that as well. And if you like to rest, um, it's a place to go for rest as well. And it's it's safe and hidden, like like all uh, great elf strongholds are. Um, and you can go there and, and rest. So I, I think he, um, whether consciously or unconsciously, is is also carrying out that bit of dominion uh, given to Este as well. Uh, and so that that very important aspect of of life that they embody. Uh, I think is carried out through Elrond and his mother-in-law Galadriel into the third age. Because Galadriel has a daughter who is married to Elrond. For all you who watch Rings of Power, I just want you to know that. <laughs> so that's my crazy theory. It's not crazy. It's realistic. And I think it makes sense. <laughs> well you guys have already declared me a heretic once tonight so if it's heresy just pile it on you almost redeemed yourself <laughs> <laughs> that close my stay in purgatory got yeah. cut a little bit it's gonna my take, stay in the yeah. halls of mandos yeah you'll need to pay me a few dollars and i'll get you an indulgence and you'll be in good shape <laughs> the indulgence of mandos <laughs> yeah i've got don't don't worry about it <laughs> It's like two hundred dollars. Do they have Venmo in Valinor? Yeah, yeah. Mandos Valinmo. accepts Cash App as well. <laughs> no, no, no wonder uh, Morgoth got out. You just pay Mandos to open the door. Yeah, I mean, that makes but sense. Think about how big. It, you know, Mandos has to make these halls pretty big, so costs money it, it it takes a lot of money to run a museum yeah exactly 
I did hear he canceled his PayPal though. Twenty five hundred bucks was just too much to ask. Yeah, Mando's out. Yeah, Mando's has no filter. He's not gonna. He's not gonna put up with that. <laughs> Can you imagine how many of his dooms could be labeled as misinformation? They're all disputed. I'm sure. Probably, mm. yeah. Experts disagree. <laughs> <laughs> this doom is invalid. Yeah. Yeah, the new Minorians would be all over that. They would. Yeah. Yeah, because they didn't have flood insurance. (laughs) (laughs) And they work for everything they've got. Right, Zach? That's right. Even though God is always right, man. God built them their own island. Yeah, they worked for that. Talking about Providence again. God gave you an island. You did not work for that. You did not. You didn't build that. That sounds like a prosperity gospel book. <laughs> God gave you an island. <laughs> it's up to you to not name it and claim it, it or something. Name it, name it and claim your island. It's like having what that that like one square foot of property in Scotland makes you a lord or whatever. Oh, right? I have it's one. Just like that. Do you really? I, I literally have one. You named and claimed Scotland. You're talking to a lady. I'll Give her you. Scotland or she dies. <laughs> One day I will go stand on my square foot. I claim this in the name of... Oh, please. Point yeah, I got it on Groupon. <laughs> Just like the old barons used to back in the medieval period. <laughs> How the Highlands were won. Yeah, I have my own tartan now. You know, like I'm pretty legit. Oh, you need to go there and you need to get like a miniature Covenanter flag for Christ Crown and Covenant and just stick it right in that (laughs) one square foot of land. This is Covenant land now. Yep. (laughs) I love it. I'd do it. Lord willing, I will do it. Do it for the gram. Yeah. If, it, if it's not a picture yeah. on the internet, it hasn't happened. Like they did in the old days. Yep. Right. Get get a web made of it or whatever. <laughs> Hang it in the hall. All right, who's ready for some Myar? <laughs> Anybody have any standout Maya that they um that they would especially want to talk about? I know there's there's a few famous ones that we that any anybody who knows Lord of the Rings would know, although they might not know under this name, but there's some OG. very famous Maya. Who wants to talk the OGs? Your your statement earlier about Manway and Varda being like just kind of boring, kind of yeah. bland characters. Yeah. They're helpers, they're Maya, Maya helpers, also kind of not much to them. News uh, fest. Yeah, uh, sure they're great, they're great folks, but their description <laughs> is boring. Um, I'll say, he's interesting um, in that he decided to 
joined Melkor for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then his wife said, hey, you know, maybe not. Uh, How about not? Come back. <laughs> um, but he still is, he still rebels a little bit in, in the violence of the um, storms. Um, I, I think that one is, I think he's an interesting one because we do have those natural uh, like storms mm-hmm. where they are terrifying. They are violent. They are destructive, uh, but they are natural. They are part of what, you know, the, the world is hurricanes. I mean, mm-hmm. they destroy so much and, but it's not like, um, you know, we, we, that's, it's an act of God. It's, it, we can't control it despite what people are trying to do now. But, um, and I think that, that I'll say is a good, um, you know, representation of that, that kind of balance that there is. It's, it's evil in a way, you know, like hurricanes mm-hmm. aren't good, but they are natural. They are a thing that that's there. They're not rebelling against nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like him. Yeah, I thought that was a really artful way to kind of bring in that fact of life that, you know, the sea is there. We've already established Ulmo loves Middle Earth, but then you've got this rogue guy and he kind of represents all those acts of the sea that that harm us and do not feel good. Yeah. Hurricanes are bad. I'm just going to go on record and say that. Yeah. They're not great. I could take them or leave them. <laughs> Do you get a lot of hurricanes up there in Ohio? Yeah, we got I Hurricane Ike. I was I was in college, and Hurricane Ike. There were winds that came all the way up, uh, mm. and and actually uh, knocked down several trees on campus. One was right by my dorm. We were without power for a week, and we're like, "What in oh. the world happened?" Because we thought we had a tornado, and they're like, "No, this is just." Outer band winds from Hurricane Ike. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. It was tremendous. (laughs) Like, no, never again. I grew up in South Florida, so I know my way around Hurricane. (laughs) Uh, You would. That's why me and I'll say here, pretty close. (laughs) I've seen the eye of the hurricane. I've looked him directly in the eye. <laughs> yeah, it it is weird, Mister Mister Landlocked State, that I am uh, being such a fan of Umo, and I have like next to no uh, connection with his element <laughs> whatsoever up here. Well, there's the Great Lakes. Uh, sure, I, I've I've seen the Atlantic Ocean more than I've seen any of the Great Lakes. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a I'm a bad uh, Midwesterner. Uh, the the uh, you know uh, the the Maya that I was most interested in talking about is actually Melion, not mm-hmm. not Olorin. Like uh, I mean, I could I could talk about him for quite a while, but Melion is s- like super important to the history of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Like in, in a way that like no other Vala or Maya, maybe except for Morgoth has had such an impact on the life of middle earth as her, like her, she actually, um, I don't know if I should spoil it or not. Anyway, like she is actually within the families of 
the children of Iluvatar, like yeah, at, at some point in the story, like she is that she's that tied into the life of Middle Earth. She is actually she actually is part of it. Like she actually fully mm -hmm. takes on raiment and and lives in Middle Earth in a way that no other spirit does. I was surprised, you know, going into this for the first time. I expected more Galadriel, and I did not get that. But I had no idea, like, Melian wasn't even on my radar, and she is just all throughout this whole mm. thing. So it was pretty interesting, actually. She kept popping up. Because you'd have characters kind of pop in and out every once in a while, but mm -hmm. she's definitely a main thread going forward. So pay attention. She's also another one who likes trees. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. Somebody likes trees? Yeah. yeah. Far out. She does she does live around a lot of trees. Uh her mm -hmm. her domain uh where she goes to live is is has trees around it. <laughs> It says that she's tending the trees that flower in the gardens of Irmo before she came to Middle Earth. Um, so she does like else. trees, and and, and the birds else. like her, but birds also like trees, so they have that in common. Yeah, she's like yeah. the Disney princess. <laughs> she is kind of a Disney princess. <laughs> If the nightingales aren't singing, they're carrying the the train of her dress, right? And Prince Charming wants to marry her. Yeah, and and her Prince Charming, when they meet, they basically just stand and stare at each other for like a decade. <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome, actually. I think it's longer than that, but but it's a long time. That's how in love they were. They didn't even speak; they just like stared at each other. You know, I'll admit, I don't even know what a nightingale sounds like. So I'm going to have to Google that. Since it says that nightingales sang yeah. about her wherever she went. I'm going to have to mm -hmm. listen to that. Because I don't know what a nightingale sounds like. <laughs> it's one of those things you'd probably be like, man, this is really annoying after a while. <laughs> 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 I don't know man, what they sound like either. Shut up. Jeez. <laughs> Hopefully around. not like an obnoxious cockatoo. <laughs> I don't know that we have very many. This, I don't know this that we even like... have nightingales. Nightingales in... pop up a lot in like fairy tale stuff. Yeah. If Maddie were a Disney princess, she'd have chickens chasing <laughs> her around, like singing. <laughs> Just all what are you talking about? That's like my normal life already. <laughs> I don't even have to be a Disney princess. They just. <laughs> Follow me around wherever I go. I have guineas doing that. Guineas. They're loud. There are no nightingales in North America. I just That's Googled fine. it. Yeah. They're they're in Western Europe, North Africa, and Asia Minor. And then there's uh, some migratory ones that end up in sub-Saharan Africa. Migratory. The... Yeah. Where'd you get the coconuts? <laughs> <laughs> not, my, not my greatery. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's why you've never heard them because uh, I guess they're not here indigenously, or you'd have to bring them over from somewhere else to have nightingales here. 
Yeah. I don't think there are any. We're missing out on a on a crucial part of <laughs> of this story. You need a post edit like a Nightingale oh, song in here. That'd be smart. I'll have to find one. Or maybe we can rewrite Tolkien to be more American centric. You know, yeah. we can have you know like American <laughs> Robins follow her yeah. around, something like that. An Oriole. Oh, oh. Oh, that's beautiful. You looked at your phone as if it were a bird. <laughs> I feel like I'm becoming a Disney princess already. <laughs> I gotta say that, that sounds a little bit like a, little a video obnoxious. game. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably, yeah. I'd probably find a way to fry one of those. You are not a friend of Melion. I'm not. No, I'm. Nor I'm at are odds you a Disney her. princess? <laughs> I'm in. Well, that's snowman. where we disagree, Nicholas. <laughs> I can be whatever I want. <laughs> You're right. I am Rapunzel. Disney princess. Uh, All you have I'm to the... do is put on her dress, and ta-da, you are one, just right. like that. Right. I can be Rapunzel, even though I'm balding. That's how important <laughs> identity is. I can literally right. be the princess known for her hair, even though I'm losing mine. The world must change for you. Yes. Yeah, but we get in trouble for like dead naming your hair if we like say you're bald. <laughs> <laughs> Fan from Twitter. I will not stand for my hair to be dead named. <laughs> this conversation uh, is weird now. <laughs> Uh, our boy Olorin uh, <clears throat> dwelt in Lorien, so he was he's hanging out in in, in Lorien, uh, in in Valinor, and often went to the house of Nienna, and of her he learned pity and patience. Uh, and if that's not a great encapsulation of the character of Gandalf, I don't know what is, because pity is such a huge aspect of. Like most of his counsel that, that he gives, especially in Lord of the Rings, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially that that famous speech about the pity of Bilbo and not not slaying Gollum. Yeah. So it's and I, it's and I think that, that he was the wisest one, too. Uh huh. Oh, I think it, I think it says later when, when they're talking about the Astari um, and sending them to Middle Earth, he was afraid. And I think that's why he wasn't he wasn't the white, like he wasn't the head of the order, because he had fear about going to Middle Earth and uh um facing off or not facing off, but uh opposing Sauron. Uh whereas um Saruman, I'm forgetting his Maya name, but uh he wasn't afraid. He was excited to go, which probably should have been a red flag. Yeah. He just wanted to learn more about it. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to dig into that, you know, and yeah, get to the bottom of it. But yeah. but quietly, secretly, in his own in his own studies. Well, yeah. I mean, we we can't let other people see this stuff. You know, if if he's going to do the research, he needs to get all the glory for it. Hmm. <laughs> Who does that sound like? Sounds colorful. 
<laughs> the original rainbow flag wearer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. A anything else on, on Mayar at all? It's a pretty slim uh obviously well we'll get we'll get to the, to the these are so these are are the good myr right obviously there's there's bad myr that that followed melkor and and so we get an account of that in the enemy's part the the last part of the valaquenta uh, and that's about melkor and kind of his legions um and this so in the enemy's part that's where we get this this title for him they name him morgoth the dark enemy of the world. So he kind of wears that on his shirt sleeve now. Oh, I'm the enemy of the world. Dark enemy of the world. The dark enemy of the world. Dark. Yeah. Like super dark, bro. There's Which a part. Like Batman. Okay. Right, so right near the end of this, th this was something that stuck out to me. Um, just in the last, next to last sentence, of the enemies it it says in all the deeds of melkor the morgoth upon arda mm -hmm. and uh, the darkness yeah yeah the <laughs> darkness great band well it's interesting because satan doesn't really i mean satan isn't even a name either yeah it's a Means title the adversary and i know people call him lucifer but I'm not even sure that's from scripture, is it? Like it was written in later, maybe if it is at all. I don't know. You'd have to I Google think that. that's I think that was a translation of another title. I, I forget. I kind of forget where that came from. Yeah. Because he just has uh, titles in the Bible anyways. I mean you have like the serpent and the father of lies and yeah, all that stuff. The, enemy. the accuser. The accuser. That's why I, you know, because of the the kind of pileup of titles, that's why some some groups like the uh, um, Orthodox Christians, for instance, they actually draw a difference between the devil and Satan. They're actually mm. in their conception, they're they're actually two different entities, um, and one of them is also Beelzebub too. I think Beelzebub isn't a third, but. Uh, one of them has the ha, also has the title Beelzebub, but is not the other, which is I don't know interesting. But I you know people have weird ideas about <laughs> about about different things. So anyway, yeah, I thought that the introduction of that title Morgoth that then basically becomes his name, yeah, very very Satan esque. Yeah, where like we're not even we're not even speaking his name. Like he he goes by his title. He's the dark enemy, aka Morgoth. Uh, totally something that gets ripped off poorly in Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, yeah, he doesn't even get a cool title. It's just he who shall not be named or whatever. Like, come on, just a very short name. It's very long. Yeah, like. Just say, just say the that name. guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know the guy. Jim. You know. 
The baby. Can't you hear the capital H <laughs> as I say it? <laughs> Him. From in this uh, section, the thing that that I thought was most interesting was the the corruption of the Maiar into Balrogs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is again Mel- Melkor the Morgoth. Uh, is is destroying things in this sense he's destroying them into like servants of himself in a way um but it's destructive they they were myar and they're corrupted and and are turned into something different that is uh that does obey him they do obey him um don't know why Sauron didn't turn into one, I guess, but uh, yeah, and and because he's on the same level of creation as them, after all, so he really could be a, a Balrog if he wanted to be. But I think you know, with his with his craftiness, maybe he was more useful not in that way, but rather as a as a corrupted Maya, <clears throat> rather than a kind of getting recategorized. Because because Balrogs like. They're really strong, but they're not exactly, you know, tactical experts, like a like a dragon would be, for instance, um, who are who are crafty and smart. Um, Balrogs are kind of brute force. They're they're almost like the uh, the spiritual equivalent of like a troll, but obviously, you know, leveled up. But the, you know, there aren't any smart trolls in, in Middle Earth, uh, and I don't think Balrogs are especially smart either. Um, well, and you have Sauron. He was initially um, a Maya of Ale. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he's not a Balrog. Could be. Again, the Ale to, to, to Morgoth pipeline. I think we're going to see a few more examples of that as we go along, too. They're close enough. You know, they're just close enough that I think some of Ali's disciples are are more uh, easy to entice over to the darkness. Well, they're you know meddling in the same things. Yeah, Tolkien kind of showing that fine line mm-hmm. between using things for good or evil. Yeah, the purpose you know you craft is is good, uh, but what you you're using your crafts for kind of determines the the usefulness of the craft or the the value of the craft. That's actually really obvious in the arts. Um, you know, you, you can say that something's a good book and then you, you read a book that's not good. Like that actually can maybe not corrupt you, but it can, it can, I guess can corrupt you a little bit. It can mess with you a little. Um, and you know, paintings, there's a difference between a painting that is beautiful and conveys truth. And then, uh, I don't know, like pornography or something like there is the, the purpose of an art or a craft does actually matter. Um, whereas trees are, you know, trees, they're fine. Um, we don't go around saying like, that is a (laughs) bad tree. You know, that is a truly evil tree. I don't know. I mean, maybe like the locust trees with the huge thorns or something, but, or like a poison oak, but for the most part, trees are trees. 
but art is it does matter the purpose uh so yeah because there's a human element to it that that can certainly twist something to 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 a sinful purpose you know and and this is kind of going back to what something you had just said uh, just a couple minutes ago but you know the fact that morgoth can only corrupt things that already exist is a huge principle for the world of tolkien and evil has never been a creative force in in this world it's always one that twists something that's been made into something bad so the good the good creations uh, of of Eru uh, get twisted uh, to evil purposes to oppose Eru. Um, so this twisting of the Maiar spirits uh, is very much in that vein. The twisting of elves into orcs later on is the same thing. The twisting of elvish language into the black speech of Mordor is another great example too. You know, Sauron oh. couldn't even come up with an alphabet. <laughs> he had to use an existing alphabet and twist it to an evil purpose. Yeah, it's interesting that they use, or that Tolkien uses those with more creative gifts, like you're saying, like with art and all that kind of stuff. It's it's that trying to employ creativity or creation, and then the twisting of like, you know, Morgoth is all about desiring to create something of himself for himself. It's a warning even in a literary sense, you know, you've got, you've got Tolkien on this side uh, where, where his work is, is, you know, kind of purely good versus evil. And then you'll get in the entire, I think a great foil to that is the, like the grim dark subgenre of fantasy where mm-hmm. there is no good. It's only different shades of evil and which, which shade of evil is going to, going to win over the other evils, you know, like the best hero you get in some of those stories. I think Game of Thrones, the the Song of Ice and Fire series, is a great example. Like there aren't there aren't any heroes in a Song of Ice and Fire. They're all terrible. Um, they all uh, do horrible things. But which one of these horrible people is going to sit on the Iron Throne? You know that that is completely uh, opposed to uh, any idea that, that Tolkien had uh, and expressed in his in his works. Another foil to this is Tolkien is trying to show truth through something. Um, And so he's obviously there's his, an element of him in it, but an opposite to that. And something that's quite like Melkor is expressionism, like trying to bring your own emotions into the art and trying to make your art as an extension of yourself um, something that is, you know, your, just your emotion, really. And it's not trying to convey any kind of truth. It's just, this is what I'm like at this moment. Um, and I think, so basically like 20th century art is Melkorian, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's living his truth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everything was so dark and uh, kind of reshifting the moral compass in, in 20th century literature uh, and, and visual arts as well. Um, and now we do that in our in lot of not our necessarily, but our is a 
collective of the entire world uh lives are like that you live your life and you expect the world to change to your emotions what you are you control the world and um you know if you want to other people have to bow to you in a way but it's <laughs> but everybody has to do it like everybody wants to be melkor and so to come up with this kind of like piece where it's like well okay you just acknowledge everybody else's control over themselves and the world by you know using pronouns or whatever and that's then we're just all cool uh but it doesn't make any sense everyone's their own little thanos right reality can be whatever i want yeah there's a there's a part of the of the second paragraph of the enemies that really stuck with me, and I think it there it has some resonance as well with, uh, with what you were just saying. Uh, I'm I'm just going to read the paragraph, so it's talking about what happened with with Melkor. From splendor he fell through arrogance to contempt for all things save himself, uh, which I I think is a very postmodern position of the heart. Um, for all things save himself, a spirit wasteful and pitiless. Understanding, he turned to subtlety in perverting to his own will all that he would use until he became a liar without shame. He began with the desire of light, and when he could not possess it for himself alone, he descended through fire and wrath into a great burning down into darkness, and darkness he used most in his evil works upon Arda and filled it with fear for all living things. You see that destructive path of that very same thing. Like, you know, I'm going to be my own truth. I'm going to set all these things in order for my own selfish benefit. And what happens, it, it ends up devolving uh, even further into literally spreading fear across the entire created world. So uh, I, I think that's very timely to consider. Uh, in the yeah, I was going to say, I think he, he would have loved TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you know and i think i think that's that's like one almost this is almost kind of a summary thought for the episode for me but it's so fascinating and i think a testament to um the thought of jrr tolkien that we can get that kind of an insight out of a piece of fiction like this uh describing mm -hmm. a world that is very much not our world uh, is not, uh, you know, um, it's not the scriptural account of our world. It's not, but somehow in, in a time past, in, in a previous century, he, I don't know, it, it's just maybe a testament to his brilliance or his, uh, his insight into human nature. But he, I think in that, that one paragraph in, in countless other places, he has so encapsulated a fundamental human problem and made it made it visible and uh, um, understandable through this character of, of Melkor slash Morgoth. I, I think he's an incredible stand in for what's wrong with the human heart. Absolutely. Fiction can bring out so much of that. Well, the ideas that aren't easily conveyed in just simple statements 
Um, there's an emotion, there's, there's all this stuff wrapped up into those and fiction can bring them out in a way that, um, just a simple statement of this is bad or something like that may not be able to, um, it's important. It's good. Very important. I think that's why it's so important too, um, to realize that about this work, because I think in some sense, like maybe a lot of Christians would be leery of reading something that seems like it's polytheistic or, you know, he's trying to create his own mythology and that can be like a red flag for a lot of people. But if you understand that he's using that to have a commentary kind of on humanity, on morality, you know, the things that we're doing, his own opinions, obviously, on it, kind of some reflections you know, being a, a Roman Catholic, he's got similar morality as a lot of us do um, as believers. And I think that there's a ton that you can take out of it as we've been talking about. And I don't think that we need to be afraid. And he doesn't glorify the evil. And that's something that's significant mm -hmm. about it. It's very clear that this is wrong and bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's good at, I think he's really good at picturing the sinfulness of sin. Yes. Yeah, with with the things that are said to be evil, it's it's obvious that they are evil. And there's no there's no shading that. There's no I mean, there may be degrees of evil, but there's not um, any gray area. I, I've been reading uh, Pascal's Ponce's the his thoughts and at the beginning of that, a lot of it is about that that mixture of inhumanity of sin and um, but then also the fact that we're created in the image of God, that we do have, you know, that when God created man, he says very good. We have that in us. And I think what tends to happen with modern literature, kind of like what you were mentioning before, is that those just kind of get merged together and you just have nasty you know just kind of a mud but with tolkien they can exist in a character like osei or whatever but but they're separate they're not the the good and the bad aren't just mixed together to make a gray it's this is an element that is not good that is you know sinful or whatever the equivalent would be and this is an element that is good um you know the it talks about Sauron, you know, the fact that he helped Ale doesn't mean that he was completely, you know, he was otherwise completely evil, but he did do something that was helpful and that was good. And it doesn't just say, oh, you know, he was nasty. It, there is something, it does praise the good while still condemning the evil, which he pretty much entirely is. So I like it. Yeah. Any any other final thoughts? I think that's uh, I think it's a really good encapsulation of what's going on. Excellent. Well, thank you all for your time once again. I think this was a very very interesting chapter, very enlightening conversation, uh, and uh, excited for the next one, uh, which will be coming up. So thank you all very much, and uh, I will I will wish everyone uh, namadie. And may the blessings of Yahweh uh, be richly poured out upon you. Until next time. Mm -hmm.